You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver police have released the shocking results of a sting operation targeting people willing to pay for sex with underage girls. Dozens of men were busted and so far seven are facing charges, including some who would have had regular contact with children. Jordan Armstrong reports. You know, it doesn't really surprise me and, you know, I think it's just really sad. A teacher, a school trustee, and a firefighter. Just three of nearly 50 men arrested by Vancouver police over nine days last year. Men who investigators say targeted girls for sex. The 47 men we arrested are from all walks of life, ethnicity, education, and employment. It began with detectives posting fake ads on social media and escort websites. Johns who responded were told by text message they were chatting with a girl aged 15 to 17. Once detectives established the age, a sex act, and fees with the Johns, the Johns were directed to a hotel room. In the room, they found VPD detectives and uniformed officers instead of teenage girls. The deputy chief surprised at just how easy it was to net alleged pedophiles. What's shocking is, uh, in speaking with the investigators, is we're looking at uh, potentially um, hundreds of chat streams that were occurring. Basically, they had to turn down people. They didn't have enough time given the shifts and the number of days that were dedicated to this investigation. Charged with communicating for the purpose of obtaining sexual services for consideration from a person under the age of 18 are the following seven men. The list includes Nick Dice, a former teacher at Little Flower Academy, and Ken Clement, a former Vision Vancouver school trustee who resigned from the board in July for, quote, personal reasons. I'm just calling in regards to Ken Clement. Attempts to reach Clement, who's also listed as CEO of the Canadian Aboriginal AIDS Network, failed. Okay, does he still work with the organization? Um, I'm, not, I'm not able to answer any of your questions right now. Police said employers had been notified, but the Vancouver School Board was caught off guard by the news. In a statement, the board says they're just learning of the allegations. Quote, this is extremely troubling community groups praising the police crackdown and hoping for charges against the remaining men. A society that buys and sells its own children is a broken one. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. New Westminster police are looking for witnesses to a shocking hit and run caught on a bus dash camera. Remarkably, the 67-year-old woman who was hit wasn't seriously hurt, but police are still looking for the driver and another witness who stopped. Global's Paul Johnson is live tonight at the intersection where this happened. And Paul, the driver, clearly knew what he did. Yeah, I mean, at one point he got out and went over to her. This was a very appalling incident that was captured, as you said, on the video camera of a TransLink bus that was idling nearby. This happened last month here in New Westminster near the corner of 6th Avenue and 7th Street. This was around 10.30 at night. And a 67-year-old woman was trying to cross the street. She was in the crosswalk. She had the light when the driver of a white Cadillac hit her. And then this was interesting. He did stop briefly. He appears to get out of the car, go and interact with her on some level, possibly talk to her or check out her injuries. Then he gets back in his car and he drives away. It's a serious crime to do that. New Westminster police hope by putting this out there someone will recognize him or the car. 
Well, it's all part of our uh, investigation. We don't know uh, what type of, if any sort of conversation they had, um, if she was conscious or unconscious, uh, and we're still trying to investigate that. We would love to know who the driver is. Um, we need to speak with him and determine what, uh, what his perspective was. Yeah, and the victim, as you heard there, wasn't able to get much of a description of this suspect. Luckily, she was taken to hospital. Her injuries were not life-threatening. We expect that she's going to recover. Chris? Glad to hear it. All right, thanks, Paul. Nanaimo RCMP are investigating a hit and run involving a vehicle registered in Metro Vancouver. A 63-year-old woman was struck just after 8 last night while in a crosswalk at the intersection of Commercial Street and Terminal Avenue. She suffered serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Police later found a 2009 Toyota Camry similar in description to the vehicle seen leaving the scene abandoned not far away. They are looking for witnesses to the hit and run. It's been a terrifying afternoon for customers at a Kelowna shopping center after shots rang out at a local bank. Global Okanagan's Kimberly Davidson joins us now live with some of the details in this case. Kimberly. Yes, Chris, that's right. It was a terrifying afternoon, especially for people in the bank, which is behind me here, the CIBC Bank. At first, they thought that they might be being robbed, although they were not. I haven't spoke with RCMP yet. But I do know the Independent Investigations Office is sending investigators to the scene as this is a police-involved incident involving an injury. One person at least injured when taken into custody. And witnesses tell me that the vehicle behind me, a Kelowna cab that's obviously been boxed in and struck by police vehicles, was the site of more arrests. I spoke with one man who actually witnessed the whole event while going through the drive through ATM. So when I put my card in to get uh, to get some uh, uh, get some money out of the bank, uh, a cop came behind me. So I was trying to move out of the way, and that's when the guy walked beside me, moved in front of my vehicle, and then he disappeared. And it looked like he hopped in another vehicle and tried to uh, leave, spun it around, and hit another vehicle. And then four more cops with dogs went there, um, and got the vehicle, uh, got in there, and then. Uh, and then pulled him out of the vehicle, and, and so I just sat there and started recording it. The police is still cordoned off the area. The area is still cordoned off, as you can see behind me, and the police expect to be here for several more hours. Chris. Thanks for the update, Kimberly. Two men are dead after a pair of shootings in Kamloops. Just before 7 this morning, police were called to the Super 8 Motel, where they found a man suffering from gunshot wounds. Less than two hours later, officers were called to the Comfort Inn and Suites, where they found another man who'd been shot. Both men died. Police are not saying if the shootings are connected, and so far they have no suspects. Widespread fallout tonight from our exclusive interview last night with the whistleblower in that explosive, uh, explosive report on questionable spending by legislature officials. As Richard Zussman reports, his allegations have focused new attention on a former speaker and the longest serving member in the legislature. With a cloud of uncertainty around her, liberal MLA Linda Reid breaking her silence today. My track record has been clean all the way through this process. Reid responding to allegations from a former employee, Connor Gibson, that said she filed for both taxi rides and mileage on the same day. Those allegations were part of the bombshell report from Speaker Daryl Plekis. 
I discovered there were some things in her expense claims that I had some concerns with. I would never knowingly, willingly claim for anything that I wasn't entitled to. I've never done that in my career. Gibson coming forward, adding to the growing story of misuse of public funds at the B.C. legislature. And it's leading to Green Party leader Andrew Weaver calling for Reid to step down as assistant deputy speaker. It's critical that the public rebuild its trust in the legislature. The speaker, the deputy speaker and the assistant deputy speaker play a critical role in that uh, in, in that regard. Reid says it would be premature for her to step aside from sitting in the real version of that speaker's chair and welcomes the internal audit. Speaker Daryl Plekis is anxiously awaiting that audit speaking out publicly today for the first time since releasing his bombshell report. The other thing, of course, is the impact that all of this has had on taxpayers. And I want us to get to a place where we get our money back. The center of the report was inappropriate spending by Clerk Craig James and Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz. It also focuses on allegations that 17 employees were forced out of their jobs because they spoke out against Lenz and James. So I want to see justice for those people, and I will feel vindicated when I see that happen. Lenz and James deny the allegations, and Plekis notes there's still an ongoing RCMP investigation looking into the two senior members of the legislature. There is definitely more to come here. Richard Zussman, Global News. Well, Premier John Horgan also speaking out about the scandal tonight. And Keith Baldry joins us in Victoria with more on that. Keith, this goes back to when John Horgan was in opposition. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a relationship between the NDP and Craig James. They oppose the appointment of Craig James to the lifetime position of Clerk of the House. First time in BC, recent BC history where a clerk was not the unanimous choice. So some friction back then between James and Horgan and Adrian Dix of the NDP. I asked him uh, through our partners at CKPG at an event the Premier's appearing in Prince George whether he feels vindicated now that Mr. James is gone or what is his, his actual reaction is to see the loss of someone who he opposed being in that job in the first place. Here's the Premier. Uh, when uh, Mr. James was appointed arbitrarily Uh, absolutely unprecedented in British Columbia history. The clerk of the legislature is an Im supposed to be impartial, supposed to be there for all members, focused not on themselves, first and foremost, but on uh, the institution. So one other uh, update on something that happened at that meeting a couple of days ago. The MLAs at the Legislative Man Management Committee voted to have an outside auditor from outside the province come in and take a look at the offices of the Speaker, the Sergeant-at-Arms, and the Clerk. I'm now learning that's probably not going to happen. Carol Bellringer, BC's Auditor General, has raised concerns about that. Her office is the appropriate office to take a look at that. And I get the impression, talking to government officials today and Ms. Bellringer herself, that she will be, her office will be the one to conduct that audit. But she tells me no idea how long that audit can take or just how extensive it can be. But I think she's going to be doing the job. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. And Victoria right. for us. New developments tonight in the case of a Chinese telecom executive arrested in Vancouver last month, plunging Canada into the middle of a high-stakes international dispute. Meng Wanzhou remains under house arrest in Vancouver, but today Canada's top diplomat in China sparked controversy by saying She's got a pretty strong case to fight extradition to the U.S. Ramina Dea reports. John McCallum breaking the ice at a news conference for Chinese language media only in Ontario. 
In an unprecedented move, Canada's ambassador to China laid out a defense strategy. Three reasons why Huawei's chief financial officer has a solid case. One, political involvement by comments from Donald Trump in her case. Two, there's an extraterritorial aspect, which McCallum did not expand on. And three, there are Iran sanctions involved in the case, which Canada has not signed on to. And as I said, I think Ms. Meng has quite a strong case. Huawei's CFO Meng Wanzhou was detained at Vancouver Airport last month at the request of the Americans, who allege Meng committed banking fraud by violating U.S. sanctions against Iran. Ms. Meng, why should people believe you that you won't breach your bail? Do you have anything to say? China furious, prompting swift reaction, perceived retaliation. Beijing arresting two Canadians, citing national security concerns and imposing a death sentence on an Abbotsford man for drug smuggling. Chances are Meng Wanzhou will not be extradited. Immigration lawyer Richard Curlin believes the Canadian ambassador's public dissection of the case was no accident. This comes very close to the line of interference in the judicial process, and I hope China appreciates what Canada has done officially and publicly. To make these types of comments, it's completely unacceptable, and I would fire John McCallum. Trudeau dodging questions when asked if he agreed with McCallum. I think part of uh, the strength of our justice system is people get to mount uh, their own defense, and I know uh, she will do that. Meng is out on $10 million bail. She is living in Vancouver in one of her two multi-million dollar homes. She is subject to court-ordered conditions, including an electronic monitoring bracelet, travel restrictions, and a curfew. The U.S. has informed Canada it intends to proceed with a formal extradition request by the January 30th deadline. Romina Dea, Global News. Closing arguments continued today in the tragic case of the South Surrey mother accused of second-degree murder in the death of her eight-year-old daughter. The Crown today giving the court a much different reason for Lisa Batstone's actions than what the defense has presented. Nadia Stewart has more from B.C. Supreme Court. Crown counsel says Lisa Batstone had a motive when she killed her eight-year-old daughter Tegan in December 2014. And contrary to defense's argument, the murder was not impulsive but intentional. Crown pointed to a psychiatric assessment by Dr. Douglas Maskell, a forensic psychologist. He also testified during the trial. During the assessment, Maskell says Batstone said, quote, she looked so peaceful sleeping and I wanted her to be with Jesus, end quote. Batstone referring to her daughter on the night in December 2014 when she allegedly smothered her to death with a plastic bag. Another witness also testified Batstone said she'd initially considered using a knife to kill her daughter, but she instead used a plastic bag. Crown says Batstone's warped intentions were still intentions, arguing killing to protect the child is still an intention to kill. Crown also says the amount of alcohol in Batstone's system was very low, so impairment cannot be used as a defense. Crown says expert witnesses have said they could not conclude Batstone did not know what she was doing was morally wrong. They argue there's no other way to interpret Batstone's comments other than to say she wanted to cause Tegan's death. With closing arguments now over, the final decision is in the hands of Madam Justice Murray. It's expected her decision will be handed down in March. Nadia Stork, Global News. 
Right now, though, the contentious issue of pay parking at Metro Vancouver hospitals is on the front burner again tonight after a freedom of information request. A coalition opposed to pay parking says a new five-year deal between the Fraser and Coastal Health Authorities and Impark means patients and their families will continue to be financially exploited at their most vulnerable time. Paying for hospital parking continues to push a lot of people's buttons. We pay for our Medicare system to go to the hospital. Why are we paying for parking? Perhaps worse than the cost, the added stress to those visiting sick loved ones or even seeking treatment themselves. You're trying to get your health back in order, so the parking is something you don't want to be thinking about. It could be more compassionate towards the, the people coming in here. Compassion? How about a new five-year contract between Vancouver Coastal, Fraser Health, the Provincial Health Services Authority and Impark, a team by the advocacy group hospitalpayparking.ca. An operator like Impark will see money, but what we should see is a group of private ambulances. These are vehicles that brought people to the hospital for a reason. The deal gives Impark $14.5 million in fees and all of the ticket violation revenue. There's definitely an incentive for the operator, in this case it's Impark, to patrol as much as possible, find those violations. And something you don't see very often anymore, actual man gates that provide the convenience of paying when you leave for the actual amount of time that you're parked. In fact, in that contract, the listed health authorities only have a total of five. And even those could be phased out. The alternative automated prepaid stations that push people to overpay to be safe or risk getting a ticket if they can't feed the meter. You're coming in for a situation, you're not sure how long you're going to be, and it should just pay once. In a statement, the health minister writes, replacing pay parking will involve determining the resources to make things more fair, while also maintaining health care services. The entire budget for the province is $12.5 billion. So $34 million, it's one quarter of 1%. A relatively minor expense this advocacy group says can no longer be an excuse to hit those already hurting or trying to heal. John Hua, Global News. A water main break sparked an emergency response in downtown Vancouver this afternoon. Vancouver Fire and Rescue called out to the spill near Canada Place in Crab Park. The break caused some small amounts of contaminants to be washed into the harbour. Booms were deployed to keep them from spreading any further. The Vancouver Art Gallery is one step closer to relocating to a new home thanks to a $40 million donation, the biggest ever to an arts and culture organization in this province. The gift comes from the Chan family, but as Catherine Urquhart reports, it's still going to be a while before the new Chan Centre for the Visual Arts is open. Constructed of glass, concrete, steel and wood with a modern look, this is the final design for the new Vancouver Art Gallery building. What do you think? Oh, very cool. Uh, looks uh, fancy, futurish, futuristic. I really like this one, but because of its history and its architecture, mainly. It's quite exciting. It's what uh, Vancouver needs. More exciting uh, architecture. Designed by a Swiss architectural firm, the drawings were unveiled Wednesday. And it was announced that Vancouver's Chan family is donating $40 million toward the $350 million project. We are honoured to be able to participate in a project that will, that will provide such vast public benefits 
while also fitting so well within our family's intergenerational charitable mandate. Several other wealthy Vancouverites and companies have also contributed, bringing private donations to $85 million. Fundraisers are seeking an additional $50 million from the province and $100 million from the federal government. This will be the home of the new Vancouver Art Gallery. Shovels likely in the ground in the next year or so. The expected completion date, 2023. The Georgia and Camby location will be transformed into a 300,000 square foot building, featuring a 350 seat theater and 25 permanent collection galleries. As for the old courthouse, the current home of the art gallery, there's still no decision on how it will be used in the future. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A sheriff in Wisconsin narrowly missing catastrophe as a car slides towards him. The dash cam video shows the close call, which happened oddly enough on Christmas Day. Thank goodness the sheriff had the gift of quick reflexes or the holiday season would have been a lot different for him and his family. It's another good reminder for drivers to slow down in winter conditions. Police in Arizona have made an arrest in a case that sent shockwaves around the world. The sexual assault and impregnation of an incapacitated woman at a long-term health care facility. He is 36-year-old Nathan Sutherland. Sutherland is a licensed practical nurse who was responsible for providing care to the victim during this time the sexual assault occurred. Sutherland, who made a court appearance today, is facing charges of sexual assault and vulnerable adult abuse. The victim has been at the Phoenix Care Home for 26 years since being incapacitated at the age of three. Officials at the home say they didn't even know she was pregnant until she was giving birth. Authorities arrested Sutherland after DNA tests pegged him as a biological match to the baby. Yet another jaw-dropping development in Washington, D.C., putting Donald Trump on the defensive once again. The president's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, announcing he is postponing his testimony before Congress. He claims he's being threatened by the president and Trump's current attorney. Michael Cohen doesn't want to talk to Congress, as he'd planned in two weeks, but he may have to if lawmakers subpoena him. Cohen postponed his testimony today out of fear for his family, threatened, he says, by President Trump. The response? I would say he's been threatened by the truth. He's only been threatened by the truth. A source close to Cohen says he's especially concerned about the safety of his father-in-law and wife after references like these by the president online and on camera. His father-in-law is a very rich guy. I hear. He should give information maybe on his father-in-law because that's the one that people want to look at. Did he keep make a deal to keep his wife out of trouble? MSNBC contributor Donnie Deutsch is a friend of Cohen's. And he was panicked. He was like, he's going after my father-in-law and my children next. Cohen's advisor hinting this might happen last week. Family is out of bounds. There's only one person in the country, one president in our history, that would threaten family as a tactic to make fear of somebody he calls a rat for telling the truth. And that's President Trump. The House Oversight and Intelligence Committees, led by Democrats, called efforts to intimidate witnesses textbook mob tactics that we condemn in the strongest terms. But, they added, Cohen not appearing at all was never an option. I have not decided exactly how we will go about it, but I promise you, we will hear from him. Blue Origin's rocket lifted off today, bringing us one step closer to space tourism. Two, one. 
The new Shepard rocket system is being developed to take riders in a capsule to the edge of space, allowing paying customers to experience zero gravity before returning back to Earth. This is the 10th test flight for the rocket company owned by Amazon owner Jeff Bezos. There were no humans on board today, but they did surpass their goal of 350,000 feet of elevation or over 100,000 meters. Emergency crews scrambled to the scene of a huge train derailment in Saskatchewan. A driver captured the moment it happened. The CN freight train was hauling grain when about 30 cars slid off the tracks as it passed through a rail crossing. The locomotive was leaking diesel fuel and ignited a fire, but CN says there were no hazardous materials on board other than that, and no one was hurt. A volcano just outside Mexico City has erupted, and it was all caught on camera. The volcano spewed red-hot ash and rock. You can see it spilling over the mountainside. A column of ash was seen over three kilometers in the air. More than 25 million people live within 90 kilometers of the volcano. They're being warned to stay away. The crater has been erupting periodically since 1994. Actor Alec Baldwin has pleaded guilty to criminal charges against him stemming from an incident last year when the 60-year-old actor got into an altercation with another man over a parking spot. Baldwin has agreed to complete a one-day anger management class. In health matters tonight, will the changes to Canada's food guide end up costing you more at the grocery store? Some are concerned, yes. Health Canada overhauled the guidelines to healthy eating, emphasizing fresh ingredients and more plant-based sources of protein. Dietitians say replacing meat with lentils or beans is a simple and cost-effective way to follow the guidelines. But buying more fresh fruit and vegetables will cost you more. There's no doubt that eating whole foods fresh is expensive. And depending on where you live in Canada, it's going to be insanely expensive. So it's figuring out how can you add a little bit more to to your daily environment. The experts suggest buying local or turning to frozen or canned fruits and vegetables when prices soar. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Quite the wild encounter caught on a home security camera. You might want to see that again. The little deer flying over the family's black lab, heading straight for the front door. The deer hangs out on the porch for a bit before passing the seemingly stunned dog once again. But once the deer was safely out of sight, the pooch does kind of come up to the bushes and investigate. But What just happened there? Uh, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> All right, wildlife theme. Canada's surprising feud with Norway and why it has caught the attention of late-night television. That's right after the weather forecast. Curling does have something to do with it. Uh, Let's check in right now with Christy and look at uh, the weather. Some people uh, are getting hammered by snow tonight. Yes, just as we predicted. So a ton of snow fell last night all across the inland regions, basically anywhere east of Hope, north of Squamish. This was Princeton through the overnight period, just got a ton of snow. They were one of the areas that got the most with 26 centimeters. Summerland received about 15 centimeters in the Kelowna region, 11. Thanks to Wendy for that shot of fresh snow angel. 
still there. Uh, so the conditions, oh, I wanted to show these numbers. Um, the most was in Manny Park at 40 centimeters. You can see that Manny Park, Allison Pass, Princeton area all along Highway 3 really got the most. Whistler, though, a good 21. Uh, the roads are much clearer now, uh, much safer driving. It is going to be cold tonight, so there's potential that you could see a little bit of frost on the roads. Uh, mostly I'm concerned about a bit of fog, but generally dry for the next several days. Although we will see morning fog or a little bit of drizzle again tomorrow morning. This was this morning in the metro town area. Basically, as temperatures cool, that cloud cover really begins to thicken up. But guess what? Above the cloud today, if you were able to get up there, this is what it looked like from Mount Seymour. Yes, beautiful. So a similar pattern where we're sort of socked in down below that cloud, but above it was beautiful. And even out in the Fraser Valley, they were able to clear the skies today. But that won't be the case tomorrow. I am expecting more cloud for you in the Fraser Valley tomorrow. What we have is a dirty ridge, everyone. And what this means is that we do still see some cloud cover push across our region. But generally speaking, this ridge is protecting us, driving these systems well to the north of us and not allowing them to move onto the coast and allowing us to really see that moisture. But it means that we won't see a ton of sunshine for the next couple of days. Inland regions across the north will, although the north coast will see rain and then coastal re- or inland regions will see snow and then you'll see a fair amount of cloud across the south coast, southern regions as well and the south coast. So again, the cloud is thicker, more dense in the morning, then it lightens up or brightens up throughout the day. We'll see that for the next two days. And then it looks like that ridge strengthens a little bit, moves on shore and helps to clear things out. And we could be enjoying mainly sunny skies for several days, starting with the weekend. We'll refine that as we get closer. Hopefully that is the case. And I'll leave you with a shot from Prince George, David, David Greenberg, sending us a shot of their ice rink or their speed skating rink there outside. Wow. Get some good strides in on that yeah. rink. Thanks very mm-hmm. much. Cool. Well, it may not be a battle you'd expect, but Canada has a growing beef with Norway, and it's all over a moose. And now a late-night talk show host is weighing in on the debate. Norway's got the T-1000 Terminator moose. <laughs> Canada has a papier-mâché dog from an abandoned theme park. <laughs> one plan to make Stephen Colbert poking fun at the feud in his rat. recurring segment, okay. Meanwhile... Moose Jaw has held the title for world's tallest moose for 35 years, but now Norway has one-upped us. But Canada, not going to give up so easily. Oh, my. (laughs) Well, there's tall and then there's that. Uh, Now Moose Jaw's statue is going to get a bigger rack. This late-night gold for Colbert, who says the city needs to clarify that they mean antlers. What kind of rack? antler rack. That's That's a rack, all right. That is just wrong, Stephen Colbert. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it is pretty funny. What? Squire, is, Squire is here with sports. We weren't totally sure where we, where we were going there because you were drumming so beautifully during the... Uh... I know. I, I, I was <laughs> lulling you guys into false sense of Almost. commercial security. Uh, oh, you know what's going on tonight? I'll tell you. Uh, Carolina is here to face the Vancouver Canucks, and that means... It's going to be busy for shot blockers and goalie Jacob Markstrom because the Hurricanes have never met a shot they didn't like. No team in the NHL has more shots per game than Carolina. They fire about 36 per game on average. They aren't a playoff team right now despite all that shooting. Their defense and goaltending, not quite the greatest. But the Canes will make sure your defense and your goalie 
will get a lot of work. <laughs> they get a lot of shots. And it's not once or twice. They do it a lot. Um, and we're going to have to be ready tonight. This is going to be a really hard game. It's going to be a good test. Uh, and we've got to come out ready to play our game. And we've gotten away from it the last two games, but I love that we, we won. And, uh, but we're going to need a complete game tonight. So you'll see a lot of shots, but one thing you won't see is some well-thought-out and choreographed victory celebration should the Hurricanes beat the Canucks this evening. Of course, they would only do that kind of celebration in front of their own fans back in Carolina. And while some of the old boys in hockey think these celebrations are a bit too over the top and not very NHL-like, the players around the league and the players around the Canucks dressing room love it. This is how the Vancouver Canucks celebrated a win over Detroit at home. They were happy, but not demonstrative. Now, here's how Carolina celebrates a win. They call for a tweak. Here they come. The surge is on. I think it's kind of cool. It's unique for sure. Uh, you know, their fans are definitely happy and exciting to see uh, what they bring to the table after a win. So it's, uh, it's a unique change that they're uh, bringing to the NHL. You know, I think it's just a matter of having fun. You know, we're, we're, we're blessed to be playing this game. And, and um, when you keep it fun and, and keep it light in, in certain moments, um, you usually end up playing your best. And um, so I think that's just, uh, it's a cool thing that they do. But the Hurricanes realize they can't do the same celebration every time. So they've gotten way more creative. Yeah, the, uh, like the bowling one, that was, that was hilarious. Uh, it's just, you know, pins just dropped in there. I think it just brings their, their team a little bit closer too, you know, and it makes the fans uh, all excited for, for the next game, and uh, they're doing a good job of that, and it's uh, cool to see. But as much as the Canucks players love it, at the moment, they are quite happy to let Carolina be unique. Uh, would you guys consider doing anything similar? Uh, right now, I don't know. Uh, we got the classic step tap and uh, salute to the, to the crowd uh, right now. I don't know if we're bringing anything crazy uh, out to the table, but who knows in the future. It'll probably be a while till you know, we would do something like that, but it's always nice to salute the crowd at the end. But. Uh, you know, they're going all out there in Carolina. The fans are doing it, the skull clap. Everybody's doing it. And now the surge reverses. Oh, the reverse. Yep, and look at this. Oh, they're going to come under the court. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Another player from Spain is joining the Whitecaps. Forward Laz Bangura will be here on loan this season, and if the Whitecaps like him, they can keep him longer than 2019. He's mainly a right wing forward, decent passing skills, good speed, didn't score a lot in Spain, but maybe in the MLS he might find the net more often. <laughs> oh man, I love this guy. <laughs> it, uh, he always looks like he's on some sort of Antarctic adventure. Uh, after last weekend's NFL championship games, two rules are being called into question. One, missed pass interference calls. A lot of people now think they should be video reviewed. A lot of people in New Orleans think that. And the other is the overtime rule. Some think it should be changed, so both teams get at least one chance with the ball. The way it is now in the NFL, if someone scores a touchdown or a safety, the game ends. And this has worked beautifully 
for the New England Patriots, who seem to be very good at everything, including winning the coin toss in overtime, which was probably the key play in their overtime win against Kansas City on Sunday, and something the L.A. Rams want to avoid if this year's Super Bowl goes to overtime. Again, with the visiting team, it's your choice. Heads. Heads. Heads is a call. It is heads. You want the ball. Matthew Slater always calls it for the Patriots. And, of course, the game on Sunday ended with Rex Burkhead getting in the end zone at Super Bowl 51. Same thing. They have called heads. It is heads. And just like in the AFC Championship game, Atlanta never touched the ball. New England went down the field, scored a touchdown, won the Super Bowl game over. In the three playoff overtime games the Patriots have been in with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, the other team has never touched the ball. How about this? In Ireland. Man down, no! Mikey Sweeney, the jockey, holds on to his mount, asks Heather, and then she ends up winning the race. Wow. I don't know what happened to the other horse that was leading. He just conked out there. But that was some impressive neck holding by Mike Sweeney. There you go. Incredible numbers in today's snow report after a massive dump of snow last night. Whistler Blackcomb 21, Cypress 18, Sasquatch though a whopping 33 centimeters. Revelstoke 2, Fernie 4 and Manning Park was the winner today with 40 centimeters of fresh snow, Whitewater at 8. Big White received 14 centimeters of fresh snow, Silver Star 2, Sun Peaks just behind, Kicking Horse got 4 centimeters, Mount Washington a nice 14, and Powder King 18. Must have hurt. Sorry. Well, she's only seven months old, but Muggsy the dog has already endured enough suffering for a lifetime. Now, a warning, some of the images in this story may be a little tough to watch. That's true. The puppy's journey to Vancouver began in Iran when someone poured a corrosive substance on her, causing severe disfiguration. But she has a new lease on life thanks to the compassion of her forever family. At seven months old, Muggsy may look scary, but it's all bark. She's actually very leery of strangers, and for good reason. Um, There was somebody that doused her with a corrosive cleaner. She's missing an eye, she has no nose, and her jaw's deformed because of the acid burn. Sam Taylor learned about Muggsy's horror story last fall while donating on a Vancouver-based dog rescue site. I just started browsing their dogs. They go, okay, I can donate some more. Maybe I'll look at like a dog that needs it. And then I saw her and I was like, oh, I think I need to bring this dog over here. (laughs) Saved from euthanization in Iran, Muggsy arrived in Canada last December, where her new leash on life involves two surgeries to fix her deformity. Go get Using her ear to bring that down and attach as something of a flap, basically sort of transplanting the tip of her ear into that portion of her nose. At the moment, the problem is she's got recurrent infections in there because all that inner part of her nose is so exposed. Muggsy's got fight. She holds her own with other dogs and is great with kids. So Taylor's not giving up on her, even as she faces some frightening vet bills. She's behaving like a normal puppy should and she's not in pain at all. Then. We figure we'll just gonna keep pushing forward for it because she's got the strength to do it and then we should try to. <laughs> Whatever the cost, Taylor says Muggsy has already bounced back from enduring the worst to experiencing the best of humanity. Her journey from heartbreak to hope, all Good worth job. it. Dogs really live in the moment after everything she's gone through that she can love people again, she can trust people again, and she really tries to 
see the best in everybody, and I think it's really inspiring, even if it's coming from a dog. Good girl. Yeah. Kristen Robinson, Global Where News. Mugsy. So sweet. So lucky to have found her. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that is mm. downright saintly. Right? Yeah. Mm. Nice of the owners to step mm. up in that way, for it's sure. So nice to see that Muggsy's just like a regular dog. Yeah. Good old cuddly. Lane in the park. A lap dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, last check of weather before we go. Yeah, so expect a fair amount of cloud over the next couple of days. But, you know, it brightens up in the afternoon and you start to see some breaks of blue sky here and there. But in general, expect some cloud. It's not until the weekend that we're hoping for the pattern to switch and for us to be able to enjoy a bit more sunshine. But I am a bit concerned about that. So stay tuned. We'll refine that sunshine as we get closer. It concerns me when you're concerned. Well, (laughs) (laughs) very concerning. (laughs) Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. For a good reason.